0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. This is week seven of this series, and um, I would encourage you, uh, you can go online and check out chapter one and kind of catch up. But uh, just as a quick reminder, James is the half-brother of Jesus. So James is the little brother of Jesus. And um, you thought your big brother, your older sibling accomplished a lot. Try living in the shadow of Jesus, right? Like the Messiah of the world. That's, that's a tall order. But what's interesting about James is that James uh, didn't actually believe in Jesus. James wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He disowned him. He, he was like, this guy's crazy. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, James moves from being a cynic to a believer, and James even becomes one of the leaders of the early church. So James has this very unique perspective of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so far in the book of James, what he's been talking about, he's been talking about how we're going to face all kinds of trials, that in life we are going to face trials. It is an inevit- it's inevitable that we will face trials in this life. But then he goes on, he says, we need to have wisdom as we face those trials, And just as trials are are going to happen, we're going to face temptation as well. But temptation never comes from God. Trials might come from God, but temptation never comes from God. And then he moves on and he talks about how we're to be hearers and doers of the word. That if we are true believers, if we possess Jesus, then we are going to make that into action. Our faith is going to work itself out. And today, James is going to speak on this issue of what we would call judgment. We might call favoritism, or what our uh, verses here today say, partiality. How many of us, by a show of hands, have ever been judged before, right? Like, I think we all have been judged before. Somebody has judged us based off our appearance or how we look. and, And the reality is we don't like to be sized up. We don't like to be put in a box. We don't like to be put in certain categories. And even though we don't like to be on the receiving end of people's judgment, you better believe it we all dish it out, right? Like we all like to size people up, put people in a box. And you might be sitting here today and you might be going, well, no, not me. Like I don't do it. But I think our our judgment is a little more subtle sometimes, right? Like dog people versus cat people, some of us were a dog person. You're like, how could you not be a dog person? Like, you come home, and they're so loving. They're excited to see you. It's so great when you come home. And, and I mean, dog spelled backwards is God. So, or, do, you know, the, you get it. Like, God. And so they're the, the animal from the Lord. Like, he's man's best friend. Like, this is a gift from the Lord. And you hear that your friend is a cat person. You're like, oh. Ugh, like, how do you like cats? You know, like the Bible says nothing about cats. So, you know, you, you pray about their soul to be delivered and all of that. And of course, I'm just joking. We love cat people, mostly dog people though, but um, I would love dogs. Uh, but but we, 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 we're judgment with that. We have judgment when it comes to that. It comes when we're texting on our iPhones and we judge somebody and we text it and the green bubble comes up and we go did they receive that text? Like Maybe they're out of internet. Like What's going on? And then you find out they're an Android person, and you go, that's not good. Like We judge them, and Android people judge iPhone people, and they're like, are you kidding me? You're handcuffed to that technology. Like They own you and all that kind of stuff, right? We judge people in the subtle ways. In fact, years and years ago, I remember seeing someone judge somebody um, uh, years ago. My dad, when he comes into town, uh, he likes to eat at certain restaurants that he cannot eat in New Mexico. And, and I think he likes to take me to it. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I think he likes to take me to these places. And uh, so he'll, he'll want to go to places that I can't afford to go to. And I enjoy that because, you know, it's kind of fun to go to some of these places. And I remember this one time we went to uh, a place called The Palm in, in downtown Nashville. It's right across from Bridgestone Arena. And you know, you don't, you don't just come in wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Like, I probably wore something like this, no holes in the jeans and things like that. And my dad, I think, wore blazers. So we didn't look like, you know, we just came off the streets or anything. But we come in, and, and we didn't have reservations or anything like that. And my dad goes to table for two, and they're like, okay, uh, it'll be about 10 minutes. Okay, we didn't have reservations, didn't call ahead, nothing like that. 10 minutes, no big deal. No, no longer than two minutes go by, but we see this couple walk in. This man and woman come in, and the guy comes in, and he's like, what is this place? Like, that's his first question. She's like, hey, welcome to the Palm. He's like, what is this place? And she's like, well, this is a steak place. And he goes, well, is the steak good? No, it's terrible, and we think you should try it. Like, how do you answer that kind of question, Right? And so she goes, yeah, we serve steak, and, and he's like, well, how much is it? Can I see a menu? And so she hands him a menu, and she's like, well, some of the steaks are at market price, and we do family sides so you can split those. And, and so he looks at his girlfriend, spouse, fiance, whoever it is, and, and he goes, well, do you want to eat here? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, well, how long is the table for two? Now, mind you, the phone hasn't rung off the hook. It's not like a whole bunch of people have come into the restaurant at this time it's just my dad and I sitting in this lobby and this couple. And she looks at the couple and she says, it'll be an hour and a half wait. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't, want, I don't want to knock the palm, all right? I don't want us, especially <laughs> as we're talking about judgment, I don't want us to immediately judge it because the reality is I worked at a high, high-end restaurant when I was in high school. And so I understand that the hostess job is to protect her servers or to protect his servers, whatever. And, and, and so that's their job is to do that. I remember I served a table and it was like two or three hours. The check was like two or 300 bucks and I got $10 tip. Like that took a third of my night and I got 10 bucks worth. So I understand like their job is to protect the wait staff. But in that moment, she made a judgment call. She judged these people based off of the questions they were asking and, and probably how they looked and, and all of that stuff. Now I share all of that with you today because the reality is we all have tendencies to be prejudiced. We all have the tendency to prejudge people based off of how they look and what we see. And what James is going to point out today is the, the problem with all of this is that we are bad judges with sinful hearts and wrong views. And so we make poor judges. But the good news today is that is not who our God is. That is not the God that we serve. God looks differently at people than you and I look at each other. And what James is going to remind us today is that we need to come into alignment with what God says about how we are to look at people because God judges at a deeper level. In fact, what's really interesting is we even see this played out in the Old Testament. I would encourage you, 1 Samuel chapter 16, you can read it later, but Samuel, he's the prophet of God. He's God's mouthpiece to the people. God speaks to him. He's close to God. He's walking with God. And so God tells Samuel, hey, Samuel, I need you to go to the sons of Jesse and go anoint the new king because I'm done with King Saul. And so Samuel obeys the Lord and he goes to the sons of Jesse and, and he sees this guy named Eliab. And he's like, Eliab, like you must be the guy. Like he makes some statements about who's qualified and who God calls to his service just based off of his first impression, what he sees. But the Lord tells him, don't look at appearance. Don't look at his height. Don't look at what he looks like because he's like, hey, guess what, Samuel? I've rejected him. God's like, you are about to put an anointing on someone that I have rejected. That's not even the guy that I want to be the next king. And we can read that story and we could be like, man, are you kidding me? Like if the prophet of God, if anyone should get it right, it's Samuel. The prophet of God, the one who's hearing from God, speaking for God, like he's close to God. If anybody gets it right, it should be Samuel. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so with that framework in mind, James is going to speak to us as believers that we shouldn't show favoritism and that our partiality is actually a sin. In fact, the title of today's message is the sin of snobbery, the sin of snobbery. If you have a Bible, join me in uh, James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who's wearing fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but, uh, but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James gets right to the point when he's talking about our partiality or our favoritism. And James, as you'll find out as we go through this letter, he's not super interested in how you feel. He doesn't really care about your feelings. He wants you to understand what it means to follow Jesus, even though he might hurt your feelings along the way. And what he's really trying to drive home here, where we're really picking up, is kind of on the thought that he left off in, in in chapter one. Uh, he, He said that if you have this relationship with God, it should be seen through your life. A genuine faith should drive genuine actions. And so James, with that same line of thinking, he's going to address how we treat people. And really in this text, I I see three um, principles for us to uh, when it comes to the sin of snobbery. And the first one is this, that favoritism doesn't fit believers. Favoritism doesn't fit believers. Believers. Again, look at verse 1. It says, My brothers, or your translation might say, My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right off the bat, James makes a statement about brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's very easy for us just to read verse one and to kind of just skim by it, to keep going, to get to like the meat of this section and not really pay much attention to what James is saying here. But I don't want us to miss the statement that he makes because he's making a theological statement. He's simply letting us know, hey, you're not just part of a movement. You're not just part of an idea. You're not part of a philosophy or an ideology. He's like, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And favoritism stands in complete contrast to really seeing each other as those brothers and sisters in Christ. And so right from the get-go, James makes a theological statement. See, as Christ followers, it's not enough for us just to have a right theology. In fact, we can know a lot of things. We can have a big head and a shrinking heart, We can know all the doctrine, we can know all the theology, but not have it affect the way that we live our lives. If your theology theology does not transform the way that you live, it's a false theology. And so what we're seeing here is James is telling us, stop showing partiality. In the Greek, this is a command, it's an imperative, it implies that this has already started to happen. In fact, the word partiality in the Greek translates to lifting someone's face. With the idea of judging by appearance and giving special favor or respect based off of that outward appearance. Again, that's why some of your texts might actually say favoritism. That definition is where we get our word favoritism from. And so James is going after our tendency to make superficial, surface level judgments about other people here's what he's getting at. Faith in Jesus and partiality. Faith in Jesus. Favoritism are mutually exclusive. They're incompatible. Why? Because Jesus showed us no favoritism. I mean, one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, we see it everywhere, especially at sporting events. John three sixteen: For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his son. say, for God so loved the the people that look like us, act like us, talk like us, vote like us, think like us, have the same skin color as us. It says the world. That means all of us. Jesus showed no partiality. So for us to show partiality is incompatible with Christianity. But then James gives us an example of what this looks like. Starting in verse 2, he says, for if a man wearing a gold ring And fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, pause right there. I think this could get lost at us a little bit because we think, well, what's the big deal? At this time, if you told somebody to sit at my feet, feet at that time were dirty. They were nasty. They were disgusting. And so it was a place of disrespect. That's what he's getting at. You're showing honor and respect to one, but showing disrespect to another. In verse four, it says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, these statements aren't a statement against those who are rich and those who are poor, but they're to illustrate how wicked in our hearts we are and how we judge people. Because the reality is there are righteous rich people and there are wicked rich people. There are uh, righteous poor people and there are wicked poor people. There are righteous and wicked middle-class people as well, right? And so this isn't so much about the rich or the poor, but it's about how we try to label people, whether they're righteous or wicked, because of how we see them and how they fit into our world structure instead of how God looks at people. And that word assembly in verse two, it's the word synagogue. Synagogues in the first century were a meeting place, a gathering place for people. In our context, what we would say is church. And so the synagogue in the first century, it's where men sat on one side, women sat on the other. And there were these special seats of honor that were reserved for the aristocrats of the community. And people at this time, they were sorted according to their rank and their status. And so James is like, hey, church, guess what? Imagine this guy, he shows up, this baller shows up on a Sunday, right? He's coming in on the latest camel and he's got bling all over his fingers, right? Like a ring on every finger. And he's wearing these fine clothes. Fine clothes in the Greek actually means uh, shining like a lamp. So you can think like flashy sequence. And if you're wearing sequins today, this is not a knock at you, okay? But really what he's getting at, he's like, hey, guess what? Imagine someone shows up and they really, really want to be noticed and they really want to be treated with high regard. He's like, there's nothing wrong with giving a seat of honor to that guy as long as you do it for the second guy. But James is like, you're not doing that. You're judging by appearance. And so you judge with evil intent. That word evil in our verses here, in the original language, it means a vicious judge with vicious intent. Now, I think when we read this passage of scripture, we can easily just let ourselves off the hook a little bit, because I think we read this, we go, well, I don't really struggle with that, because typically people don't want to sit in the front row, right? And so we go, all right, well, what's next? But favoritism, my partiality, might look a little more subtle. I think we've all made superficial snap judgments on people based off of limited information. Just like Samuel, I think some of us, we can look at people's appearance and we make a judgment call. We show favoritism to them just by the way they look, like they look good. I wanna be next to them, right? I think it could be success, like this person, especially if they're in a field we're wanting to get into. We're like, well, let me get close to this person because they're successful. I wanna be successful. Let me get close to them. Or they're successful and I wanna be successful, so I just wanna be next to them. It can go down the list. It could be race. It could be age, denomination, political affiliation. It might be the fact that of just, again, how they look, like they look good. I want to be next to them. It might be that we don't want to hang around somebody because their breath stinks, right? I can go as low as that, but the reality is we show treatment, special treatment. And when we do that, we make ourselves a judge and that role is not ours. And if we do it, we do it with evil thoughts and evil motives. We're obsessed with distinctions. And yet the narrative of the New Testament is Jesus knocked down walls that we want to put up. Jesus erased lines that we're so quick to draw. Jesus was known as someone who is not a respecter of persons. Now that didn't mean he didn't respect people. Jesus did respect people. But here's what that means. It didn't matter your status when it came to him speaking the truth. Jesus showed care and love for the woman caught in adultery, for the woman at the well, for the tax collectors, for the obvious sinner among them. Jesus would deal in truth and grace and love no matter people's social status. So we should see each other in a proper way as image bearers of God, as people who are seeking to be in his presence and learn from his word. But when we show favoritism, there's wickedness in our hearts. And let's be honest, when we show favoritism, it more has to do with whatever makes us feel comfortable because we see everything through a biased lens of where we're at. So if we're poor, we discriminate against those who are rich. If we're rich, we discriminate against those who are poor. We could go down the list. We can discriminate against politics, socioeconomics, skin color, and we can name all the different ways that the world tries to break us apart. But the Bible tells us that as believers, when we come together, there's neither Jew or Gentile, male or female, uh, slave or free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. So the gathering of believers should look differently than the way the world gathers. Our value system should be different than the world's value system. See, when we come together in faith, we push all the status claims, all the titles, all the things that the world thinks important. We don't push people to the side. We push those titles and those things that the world thinks is important to the side. And we love and honor everybody who walks through those doors because we're not interested in the glory of man, the appearance of glory, but how James started all of this, we're interested in the glory of God. And by the way, I think we mostly do a good job at this here at Awaken I think I'd give us a C rating. Like there's definitely ways we could improve, ways that we could grow more in this area. And so I think really we need to look at this as a warning from James that we need to always be aware of the wickedness of the flesh and of our hearts. Favoritism does not fit believers. And so James, he's he's gonna move on. And he's like, hey, well, guess what? When you do show favoritism, he's like, it doesn't even make sense. And It actually opposes the law. And that's our second thought for today, and that is our favoritism opposes logic and the law. James is like, not only do you choose poorly when you try to choose based off of appearance, but you think people are holy because of what they look like on the outside. And you're pushing people to side that God has chosen, and he's like, you're missing it all completely. You've missed the mark. See, at this time, Christians were being persecuted heavily and they were being dragged through the court system. And the people persecuting them and dragging them through this court system were powerful people and sometimes with financial status. I read one commentator this week that said it could have been the Sadducees that were dragging them through the court system at this time. But James doesn't say who it is, but whoever these rich people are, they're mocking these Christians, they're blaspheming the name of Jesus, and they're taking advantage of them financially. That's why in the middle of verse six, James says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James is like, your favoritism doesn't even make sense. The people that are exploiting you, you're the ones, when they come in, being like, hey, here's a seat right up here in the front, here, go ahead, have the sea. You're, you're giving them favoritism. You're, they're the ones oppressing you. He's like, you're showing favoritism to these people and it doesn't make sense. Are you more on the side of what God wants and what God is looking at or are you on the side of these rich people who are oppressing you? He's like, you gotta make a choice. Don't worry about optics, worry about what God wants. And then James is like, not only do you not make sense with all of this, but then he's like, it opposes the law. Verse 8, look at what he says. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Pause right there for just a second. This royal law that James is talking about, he's, he's going back to what Jesus said in Matthew 22. When Jesus said, you are to love your... Uh, you, people were asking him, what's the two greatest commandments? He's like, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two commandments, everything hinges on, Right? The reality is we hear, and we can read here, we can remember that verse from Jesus, and we can go, well, I don't mind loving my neighbor as myself as long as I get to pick the neighborhood. As long as I pick the neighborhood, I can love my neighbor as myself. But then James goes on to say, he's like, but if you show partiality, you are committing committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. This week when I was reading this, I was like, man, it's really interesting to me that partiality, favoritism, is listed among committing adultery and committing murder, What's even more interesting to me is it seems like James is kind of going back to street witnessing a little bit, like trying to prove that we're all sinners falling short because the reality is we don't like to say, well, I've broken the law. We like to say, I broke that law. When it comes to thinking about our holiness, we go, well, you know what? I've been a pretty good person. I've only done a little bit bad over here and we try to justify our own behaviors. See, we try to view the things that we do correctly really, really high and we try to minimize the things that we've done against God. The reality is, we have all broken the law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the point of these verses is to make us realize that just because we get one thing right or some of it right when it comes to the law, it doesn't mean that we're good to go. The point of the law isn't to hold it up to our life and go, ah, I'm doing pretty good over here. The point of the law is to look at it, look at our life, and say, not even close. I don't even hit the mark to to living the life the way that God has wanted me to live. And so James is reminding us that showing favoritism stands in sharp contrast to loving our neighbor as ourselves. Even if you do all these other things right. You don't murder, commit adultery, lie, steal. But you show the sin of partiality. He's like, you've broken the law. You've sinned against God. So James, really, in these verses, he's given us a command. He's given us some causes of why we uh, show favoritism. He's like, guess what? It doesn't even make sense, and you oppose the law when you do it. But then he doesn't just leave us there. He shows us a way. He gives us an action step to avoid the sin of snobbery. And the action step here, and this is our final thought, is that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Look at what it says in verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When I was reading that this week, I thought, man, it sounds a little like the Lord's prayer, right? Father, forgive us as we forgive others. I think what James is trying to get at and what he's really trying to leave us with is that in our lives there should be evidence of a transformed life. James isn't wanting us to play around with favoritism when it comes to our actions or our words. And here's the truth. We will be judged for how we treat people. You will one day stand before God and give an account for your words and your actions or your lack of actions when it comes to what God has said is important, to love your neighbor as yourself. We will either have to give an account or we will get to give an account. Those are two totally different things. One brings dread and one brings joy. We will have to give an account to God. So we need to speak and act in love. Now you might be thinking, well, okay, how do I speak and act in a way that is okay with God? Like, I don't think I could ever do that. And this is where we need to be reminded of the gospel, that we were all in need of mercy that triumphs over judgment. God brought justice and mercy together on the cross, and we were declared right before God based on the righteousness of Jesus. James is saying that when you've experienced that kind of mercy, you'll be able to show mercy to others because God's mercy in you will overflow through you and from you. The judgment that we held over people, it may not melt away in a day, but eventually it will melt away because we understand that forgiven people forgive people. I've been forgiven so I can forgive others. I've been shown mercy so mercy can overflow from me to other people. Now, does that mean we'll never show favoritism again? Absolutely not. We live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. And because of that, we're still sinful people battling the flesh. So we still will have favoritism creep up into our lives. But by the grace of God, as we see this favoritism sneak into our lives, we are quick to repent, quick to remember the cross of Jesus, where we've been forgiven and we are reminded of who we are in him. We are reminded that we've been given mercy. So we give mercy out to others. See, the reality is we live in a divided world today. We're divided on just about every single issue. And in our society today, there are a lot of loud cries and calls for justice in our world. But as Christians, the volume with which we call for mercy should be louder than the volume of justice. Why? Because of Romans 12, 19. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Again, the day is coming when everyone will have to give an account for every sin and every action they've ever taken. And as Christians, the volume with which we call for mercy should be louder than the call for justice, even if the injustice has been done to us. And when we do that, we look like our Savior. Jesus was wrongly accused of crimes he did not commit. He went through a, a, a terrible court system and proceedings, was found guilty, and yet when he was dying on the cross, what did He say? "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." There was a call for mercy. A few years ago, you might remember a shooting that occurred in South Carolina in a church in South Carolina, and nine people were killed. And Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, she said this to the man who killed her mom. She said, you took something from me very precious. I'll never talk to her again. I'll never hold her again. But I forgive you. May God have mercy on your soul. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could say that. I don't think I'm alone. I think we all could not say those words. But in the face of injustice, she called for mercy. And when she did that, she looked like Jesus in that moment. There's so many things that are trying to divide us today. But the one thing that needs to be abundantly clear, as followers of Jesus, no matter what's taking place around us, we don't listen to what the world says. We listen to what God's word has to say. And we call for mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, at this point in the letter, I think we all go, all right, James, I get it. God doesn't like favoritism. But one thing struck me this week as I was reading this, that the way we treat people is connected to our own freedom. My favoritism doesn't just take something from someone else, it actually takes something from me. Favoritism robs me of the freedom living as a free person goes back to what Paul would say in his letters. He's like, hey, guess what? That's the old way of living life. That's the old way of doing things. We are transformed. We are new creatures. We are new people in him. That's the way we used to be. We used to create distinctions and put people in classes and categories, but that's not the way with the kingdom of God. And so today I want to challenge all of us to show favor to everyone. Showing favor recognizes that every single person is the image bearer of God. Listen, you've never looked into the eyes. You've never looked at the face of another person that Jesus does not love and Jesus didn't die for. And if we live with the center of that reality, that would change the way that we talked with the waiter later today, who's a little late or maybe a little grumpy when we go out to eat. It'll change the way we talk to that barista Monday morning who got our drink wrong again. Change the way that we interact with the homeless in our community. It'll change the way that we look at that faceless or nameless person that cuts us off in traffic on Wilma Rudolph and that road is terrible and we all know it and we shout a profanity at that person. If we knew that there was not a single person whose face we've looked into that Jesus doesn't love, it would change the way that we live our lives. We're all image bearers. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. The reality is it's easy for us to treat someone with favor who can further our career, further our status, but the true measure of a person is how we treat someone who can't advance us, that actually in an earthly sense can do us no good. Jesus showed us how to live this way. When the woman caught in adultery, they were ready to stone her. He was like, Jesus said, hey, he who has not sinned, you go ahead and cast the first stone. When the disciples tried to keep all the kids away from Jesus because kids were seen as insignificant, not important, Jesus was like, hey, let the little children come unto me because the kingdom is theirs too. When the uh, religious elite uh, accused Jesus of eating with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus said, hey, I've not come to call those who think they're righteous, but I've, call, uh, but I've come to, for those who know they are sinners. So let me ask you today, this is your homework today. Who in your world is overlooked? Who in your world are the marginalized, the vulnerable, rarely shown favor? Who's God, who has God put in your life who needs to be shown favor, who needs to be shown the love of Jesus. Maybe today, it's, it's the homeless in our community. Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe you see them, and, and we've got people who serve over there, and you see them, and you're just like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna make eye contact, and you need to go, and you need to talk to them. Maybe for you, it's that person at school, at the lunch table, that no one sits next to you, and you just need to go up, and you need to introduce yourself to them. Maybe they're the ones who sit in the back or the front of class. And you need to to sit next to them. Maybe it's somebody at work. Who in your life has God put that you need to start showing the love of Jesus to? Jesus showed favor and forgiveness to all who receive him. And that is very, very good news. You've never looked in the eyes of another person that Jesus doesn't love. And the truth is we all deserve judgment but we're given mercy. So let's be people of mercy. Because God brings us into his family, not to be spectators, but just how James began the section of verses, as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, my prayer for us as the church is that uh, our opinion of others would pale in comparison for our love for others. I want to close with kind of a, a story, a quote that I read this week by a guy named Wes Seelinger. And he said this, I've spent long hours in the intensive care waiting room watching with anguished people, listening to urgent questions. Will my husband make it again? Will my child walk again? How do you live without your companion of 30 years? The intensive care waiting room is different than any other place in the world. And the people who wait there are different. They can't do enough for each other. No one is rude. The distinctions of class and race melt away. A person is a father first. A black man, a white man, a Hispanic man, an Asian man second. A garbage man loves his wife as much as the university professor loves his. And everyone understands this. Each person pulls for everyone else. In the intensive care waiting room, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. Everyone is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it will show improvement. Everyone knows that loving someone else is what life is all about. See, long before the intensive care waiting room, let's learn how to live like that now. You've never looked into the eyes of someone that Jesus doesn't love. There are no second-class citizens in his kingdom. Think about the person that you avoid at all costs, that you don't ever want to make eye contact with. And remember that Jesus loves them too. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I don't necessarily have, a, I get all that, but I don't feel like I can earn Jesus' favor. Like, you don't know the sins and the things that I've done. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. The Lord's not gonna look at your life and your sins and go, whoa, I don't know that. He offers forgiveness and freedom from that sin. If you would turn from that sin and you would turn to him and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior.